Well, there's a pretty profound story I've, I've read a number of times over the years, read it again recently, and it's uh, told by a, a Roman Catholic archbishop who said uh, there was this priest who was hearing confessions one day in his local church when three mischievous boys decided to play a trick on him. Uh, and they took turns going into the confessional. And if you're not Catholic, I think everybody knows what that is, but the little room you go into to confess your sins to the priest uh, through the screened window. So they went in there, and uh, one by one they confessed all sorts of, of terrible made-up sins and crimes, uh, just to see how the priest would react. They wanted to see what he would do. Well, the priest, of course, figured out what was going on, and he came out to corral the boys. Two of them got away, but the third one he caught. And the priest pretended to have believed his confession, and he told the boy that since he had committed such terrible sins, he had to impose a very uh, serious penance upon him. The boy was to walk to the front of the church toward the figure of Jesus there that was hanging on the cross and look Jesus in the face and say three times, you did all that for me and I don't give that much, snapping his fingers onto that. Well, the young man did it once. He did it the second time. And then on the third time, he found he couldn't do it. He just dissolved into tears, and he left the church as a changed person. And the archbishop said, the reason I know that story is true is because I was that young man. You know, there is no denying the power of the cross, right? For over 2,000 years now, the, the story of this itinerant rabbi Jesus dying a horrible death, death in an obscure Roman province has gripped the world and it's transformed millions and millions of lives. But why? What actually happened on the cross? Now, you don't have to understand the theology of the cross to experience the love and the joy, the forgiveness, the transformation that God has given us through the cross. There, there isn't a final test that we have to pass one day, right? We can all breathe a sigh of relief about that. But, uh, well, and I want to say too, I don't think anyone's got the cross all figured out anyways. It's, it's just a mystery to a certain degree, and that's okay. But there is a lot we can know. And, and when we come to understand what God's story in the Bible actually reveals to us, we might be surprised to find that what happened on the cross is, is more liberating and more powerful, more, it's better than we ever expected. And that will help us to grow as people who worship the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind which is what we want, right? That's what we want to become. So as we enter into this week, Holy Week, when we're remembering and we're celebrating all that Jesus' death has accomplished for us, I'm going to read the account of Jesus' death from the Gospel of John and then offer you some ideas to consider uh, about what actually happened on the cross. And uh, as I realize as we, as, you know, as we take this time to do that, this kind of this is a pretty somber topic, right? And as... Uh, um, BJ said at the beginning, I'm not trying to bring you down because we want to remember, too, this is all part of the good news, right? This is it's called Good Friday for a reason, and I think where this takes us is just to how good 
this good news really is. So can we pray? Yeah, okay. So Holy Spirit, come, be here with us. Open our minds, open our hearts, open our eyes to see you, Jesus, to see the fullness of what you have done for us and, and maybe even to give us some new ways to look at it. So, Lord, I ask that, that you would uh, come and be working in us right now as we're here together, as we're watching online. Let us experience your love and your presence as we're together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is John, <coughs> excuse me, chapter 19, and I'm going to read starting in verse 14 down to 22 and then skip up, read 28 to 30. <coughs> it says, it was the preparation day for the Passover, and it was about noon. <coughs> and then he, that is uh, Pilate, Pontius Pilate, told the Jews, here is your king. And they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Pilate said to them, should I crucify your king? We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. And then he handed him over to be crucified. Then they took Jesus away. Carrying the cross by himself, he went out to what is called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. And there they crucified him and two others with him, one on either side with Jesus in the middle. Pilate also had a sign made and put on the cross. It said, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign because the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. So the chief priests said, or of the Jews said to Pilate, don't write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate replied, what I have written, I have written. After this, when Jesus knew that everything was now finished and that the scripture might be fulfilled, he said, I'm thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was sitting there, so they fixed a sponge full of sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it up to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And then bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. <clears throat> well, about two decades later, after Jesus died, in his first letter to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul summarized what happened that day on Golgotha. He described it like this. He wrote, the Messiah died for our sins according to the Scriptures. The Messiah died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Now, the Scriptures Paul was referring to are not the Gospels. They're not the story of the crucifixion in Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, because those Gospels had not yet been written when Paul penned those words. Uh, Paul was saying the Messiah died for our sins according to or in accordance with, you could say, the story that we are told in the Hebrew Scriptures, in the Old Testament, in other words. And that story begins with a good, good God who in the overflow of his love creates a beautiful world out of the chaos of nothingness. 
And he creates people to live with him in that beautiful world with him, enjoying his love forever. And the thing about this world that he creates is that it is unfinished. God loves the people he created so much that he invites them into that work of creation. They're given meaning and purpose. They're given a vocation, you could say. They are to care for the world and care for all the people that would come, continuing all the work that God had begun so that all of creation would reflect the beauty and the glory of God. But as we know, that didn't go so well. Rather than trusting in the love and the faithfulness of God, these people listened to another voice. And they decided to trust that voice instead. And we think of that story of Adam and Eve eating the forbidden fruit, and, and we think about it as if what mattered was that they broke a rule. But what mattered really much, much more is that they gave their heart to something other than God. They put their trust in something other than God. And whatever you give your heart to becomes your God. It becomes what we call an idol, right? Well, an idol is a God that we think we can control. Uh, We think that if we do what it wants, then we will get what we want. That's how we think idols work. Um, We don't think of that consciously maybe, but subconsciously, that's really what's going on. And often it does seem to work at first, but when you worship idols, you always end up enslaved. Rather than us controlling them, they control us, and they do not love us the way God does. So instead of finding love or peace or joy or life or whatever it is we thought we were going to get by chasing after this idol, we instead open the door to chaos and destruction in our own life and the lives of those around us. Rather than bringing the beauty and the glory of God to all of creation, we wreck it. Well, that understanding will help you read the Old Testament well. Over and over in those scriptures, we read about how people, instead of trusting in the love and the faithfulness of God, listen to another voice, and they put their trust in in that other voice. They put their trust in something other than God. They think that gives them control over life, but in reality, they end up being controlled by idols. And the result is always more sin, more chaos, more destruction, more death. And over and over in those Old Testament scriptures, we also read about how God never gives up on them, no matter what, just like he never gives up on us, no matter what. He never stops loving. He never stops being faithful. He picks a man named Abraham who becomes a family called Israel, which becomes a kingdom out of which he promises a Messiah will come to set all people free from their slavery and to restore everyone, everyone to the life and the purpose and the vocation which he gave them in the beginning. The Messiah died for our sins according to the scriptures. He died for our sins in accordance with, in other words, to complete and fulfill this story as it's told to us in the Old Testament. Amen? Yeah. 
Now, if you're like me, though, <clears throat> the story you learned about what happened on the cross goes more like this. All humans sinned, causing God to be angry with us and want to punish us and burn us forever in hell. In fact, God had to punish us for our sin. He had no choice. His hands were tied. Justice demanded it. So Jesus came, and God punished him instead of us. Now, since God has vented his anger on Jesus, we're off the hook if we believe it. It might be said in a nicer way than that, but that, that's still the gist of, of what the message often is. And as New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says in his uh, really great book on this whole topic called The Day the Revolution Began, he says if you grew up hearing that story, it, it becomes so ingrained in us that we think that is what we have to believe, even though at some level, it makes God sound like a bloodthirsty tyrant or an abusive parent. Many people think, well, if that's what God is like, I don't want to have anything to do with him. And then they reject him altogether. If someone tells you they don't believe in God, your really good question to ask is, what God don't you believe in? Because often it will be some version of that angry, abusive-sounding God, to which I would respond, I don't believe in that God either. Maybe we should talk. Because as Paul wrote, the Messiah died for our sins according to the Scriptures. It's not an accident that Jesus died on the cross at the time of the Jewish celebration of Passover. Passover celebrates the deliverance of the nation of Israel from their, their enslavement in Egypt. For 400 years, they had suffered under the tyranny of their Egyptian masters, whose cruelty was shaped by the idols they worshipped. The Israelites were trapped there in, in misery and despair and hopelessness. But God, in his loving faithfulness, sent Moses to deliver them. And so Moses confronted Pharaoh, and Moses, through those famous plagues, also confronted the idols of Egypt. Each plague, if you go back and read and study them, you can find, was directed at one of the gods which Egypt worshipped. Through Moses, God broke the power of those idols. And through the blood of the Passover lamb that was slaughtered, Israel was protected from death. And so then Israel walked out of Egypt into the purposes of God as free men, women, and children. See, Passover encapsulates the whole story of the Old Testament. And Passover reveals to us what really happened on the cross. As good 21st century American Christians, we like to have our beliefs boiled down into nice, neat, short statements that we can easily remember and put on a bumper sticker and explain to somebody in a minute or less. So the way we've often done that regarding what happened at the cross is to say something like, Jesus died for my sins so that I can go to heaven when I die. And while that's certainly true, it's only a part of the story. And when we make a part of the story, the whole story, we end up with something very different from what God has actually done. 
He wants us to know the whole story. And the story of Passover helps us to understand the whole story of what it means when we say the Messiah died for our sins according to the Scriptures. So what actually happened at the cross? Well, I think we could all agree that a disease we all hate is cancer, right? Don't know anybody that's a fan of it. We all hate cancer pretty much universally. And, and we'd all love to see cancer eradicated from the world. No one would feel guilty for doing so as if somehow, you know, we had been bad people by being cruel to cancer. Wouldn't cross our mind. We'd love to see it gone. You know, we're certainly better at treating cancer these days than we were a few decades ago. But even so, I mean, cancer's just evil. It wreaks havoc with people's lives, and it still kills far too many people. There is nothing good about cancer. So stretch your imagination with me for just a minute. This is going to take some imagination, so go with me here. Um, but imagine this. What if there were some way that some scientist discovered some new medical technology that allowed us to take all of the cancer in all of the world and, and maybe even the cause of all of that cancer out of all the people of the world and inject it all into one person. I realize this is like really bad science fiction, right? But just use your imagination. It would be bad for that one person, right? They would definitely die. Wouldn't be good for them. But then the cancer would die with them. Now, it's no, by no means a perfect analogy uh, at all. But it helps me to picture what Jesus did for us on the cross. See, first of all, remember that, that, that Jesus is fully human, and he's also fully God. God didn't send someone else to die for us. He loves us so much that he came himself. The problem we had, according to the story of the Old Testament, isn't really that we had sinned and made God mad at us so that he wanted to punish us. It is that in choosing to sin, we had given our heart to something other than God. In trying to be in control of our lives in order to get what we want and need, we were entrusting our lives to something other than the love and the faithfulness of God. And as a result, we had become enslaved. Sin always enslaves us to idols. Just as surely as the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, we were enslaved with no hope of escape. And as a result, we couldn't be the people that God had created us to be. We couldn't live out that purpose he'd made us for, that vocation he had created us for. Instead, we were stuck in futility and chaos and destruction and death. Instead of participating with God in his work of making all things glorious and beautiful, we were participating in making a mess of everything. Kind of sound like our world? <laughs> See, it, I don't think it's so much that God wanted to punish us for sinning. It's that God, you could say, wanted to punish sin. He wanted to break the power of sin. God hates sin because it enslaves the people that he loves. Just like we hate cancer because of what it does to people. 
So to set us all free from our enslavement to idols, God had to deal with the sin. So how did he do that? He came to earth as Jesus. First of all, he went around loving everybody, doing the works of God, and showing us what our lives are meant to look like. Our lives are meant to look like Jesus, right? That's what we were created for. And what did we do? Well, we rejected him. We abused him. We crucified him. Just like God knew we would, because this was all a part of God's plan. Because in the mystery of God, in in some way that, that we can't fully understand with our limited minds here, our rejection of Jesus meant that on the cross, all of the sin of all of the world was focused in on and absorbed into Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin for us. That's what Paul wrote later. Jesus broke the power that sin held over us, the power to enslave us to the idols by gathering that sin into himself and forgiving it. And then Jesus died on the cross, and the power of sin died with him. That worth a hallelujah? See, it really is good news, even though it's somber. Hell, it really is good Friday. So will you go to heaven when you die because Jesus died for your sins? Absolutely, right? Absolutely. But the point of it is even bigger than that. The point is that you've been released from the grip of idols. You you can live as worshipers of God. You can live out the vocation for which you were created, taking part in bringing the beauty and the glory of God to this world and to the people in our lives and in your family and your job and your neighborhood and your church, right? See, that's the life that Jesus died to give you. I think one of the things God is constantly trying to do is pull us out of a small mindset a mindset of thinking, you know, I'm this horrible person that I just just luckily get to go to heaven someday to saying, no, look at what I have delivered you into. This is the freedom I brought you into, and this is the life I want you to live. You know, this is what I'm inviting you into. Every day we get to wake up and worship the Lord our God with all our heart and all our soul and all of our mind, with all of our lives. You know, every day we get to thank Jesus for everything that he has done for us, trusting in the love and the faithfulness of God. Every day we get to do that. Every day we get to choose as a result to be the people that God has created us to be and do the things he's created us to be, created us to do. You know, every day we get to look at everything going on in our life and realize God is in all things. Now, I know it's hard sometimes, right? I know it's a battle. I know it can be a struggle to remember this and live it out every day in the midst of the chaos of this world. But even that is all a part of the glorious life we have been given because all of that is part of how God shapes us and forms us and makes us into the people 
he has created us to be. And one day, we are going to be raised like Jesus, and we will become fully who we were created to be. We, but we will talk about more about that next Sunday on Easter, right? Amen. <laughs>